Welcome, it's indisputable. I'm your host, Rashad Richard, good to be with you. We have a lot on the agenda today. Breaking down news of the day, my contributor is Jeff Wiggins, Rebel HQ contributor and content creator should be a great breakdown. Also, in the bullpen, we have Corey Walker, commentator Young Voices, going to talk about his defense of the Uvalde Police Department and their response to kids being massacred and them not well responding. Should be an interesting debate. Top story of the day, Texas teachers, part of a committee, they have recommended to the state of Texas to eliminate the word slavery and replace it with involuntary relocation. I kid you not. This is happening because of a state law that was passed in Texas and signed by the governor. I'm gonna get into that in a moment. Let me bring your attention to Senate Bill 3. In this case, a group proposing second grade curriculum revisions was given a copy of Senate Bill 3. Senate Bill 3 is a Texas law that dictates how slavery and other issues of race are taught in the state of Texas. The law states that slavery cannot, hear me loud and clear, cannot be taught as part of the true founding of the United States. And that slavery was nothing more than a deviation from American values, okay? So you already see what they're doing, they're creating the pretext so they can have a curriculum context to teach that America had nothing to do with slavery. Which means by extension, if America had nothing to do with slavery, then America has nothing to do with racism, bigotry, sexism, etc. They are literally creating laws through statute in order to manipulate the historical context of this nation. So that children are learning not a watered down version of America, but an untrue one. This is law in the state of Texas, Senate Bill 3. So these individuals, which by the way included individuals on the right and the left, it included people in public education and collegiate education. They decided after reading Senate Bill 3 that they would make a proposal. Yes, it's a dumbass proposal, but I would give you the background. So public schools in Texas would describe slavery to second graders as involuntary relocation under new social studies standards proposed to the state's education board. A group of nine educators submitted the idea to the state board of education as part of their effort to develop a new social studies curriculum. That's according to the Texas Tribune. This is a once in a decade process, they update curriculum. And this impacts nearly 9,000 public schools. Uh, let me show you the guy in charge of Texas education. His name is Jeff Ellis. Now, let me remind you of the person who signed the ridiculous legislation, Senate Bill 3, and that's Governor Abbott, okay? All right, so the board with unanimous consent, I want you to remember that. Not one person on this board said, you know what, this is a bad idea. The board with unanimous consent directed the work group to revisit the specific language. Uh, language. Kevin Ellis, chair of the Texas State Board of Education said in a statement according to the Tribune. 
Board member Ica Davis, a Democrat, a Democrat who represents Dallas and Fort Worth, raised concerns during a June 15th meeting that the term was not a fair representation of the slave trade. <laughs> you don't say. The board sent the draft back for revision, urging, urging the educator group to carefully examine the language used to describe events. That's what they said, all right? I can't say what their intention was, but that's not going to be acceptable. Davis told the Tribune on Thursday. Now, Davis is a, uh, it's really interesting because Davis is a Democrat on the committee. Now, the question is, well, why do you not provide pushback? Why was there a unanimous vote? Well, on that day, for whatever reason, uh, Davis was not there at the final vote as it relates to this particular recommendation. So while there is an official rebuttal on the record, there was no official vote on the record protesting this ridiculous proclamation about slavery. All right, there's more. The board is considering curriculum changes one year after Texas passed a law to eliminate topics from schools that make students feel discomfort, all right? The state's public education system has become heavily politicized in recent years. With lawmakers passing legislation to dictate how racist slavery should be taught in schools and conservative groups pouring large amounts of money into school board races. So part of the proposed draft standards obtained by the Tribune say students, students should compare journeys to America, including voluntary Irish immigration and involuntary relocation of African people during colonial times. That's all people, slavery, no, it was involuntary movement during colonial times adverse to the values of America. This was not part of the American expression, it was a deviation from American values. That's what they're literally by law mandated to teach a complete lie. A complete lie, the foundation of this country is rooted in slavery, bigotry, and racism. The, peop- the people that founded this country thought it was okay. Most of them thought it was okay to own another person. It is fundamental to the DNA of this nation. And it's also fundamental to understand it so that you can unravel the reality that we are today. Without acknowledgement, there is no transformation. They are trying to indoctrinate children away from the reality of their own country. Because if children know the reality of this country, they may actually seek to remedy the problems that exist in it. Texas drew attention for a similar a similar situation in 2015. When a student noticed wording in a textbook that referred to slaves who were brought to America as workers. The publisher decided to apologize. Texas private institutions have already implemented this massive revisionist history. And yes, it's coming to a city near you, be vigilant. My dear brother, what are your thoughts here? Involuntary relocation sounds like a really dope rap group um, <laughs> that can explain the three-fifths compromise really well. Think Bone Thugs in, Har- uh, in Harmony, but modern. How is this not what we're talking about? How is this not indoctrination, withholding correct education and information from students. For the last eight to 12 years, I've been told that because I went to a university and I got an education, 
that has been indoctrination. I've been indoctrinated into a liberal type of a mindset. This is gross, this is wrong. Involuntary relocation is just a small part of what went on. I mean, we gotta think about the middle passage, slave codes, the black codes, beast of burdens, um, destroying families and lives and culture, people being slaves simply because their mothers were enslaved. Like the involuntary relocation is just a small, minute part of this whole thing. And so there's telling only small, minuscule truths, and that's dangerous in and of itself. Yeah, well said. Remember the story about police shooting targets at the target range were only shooting targets of black men. Initially, the chief of police came out and said, well, well, no, actually, we shoot more white targets than black, according to my research that I cannot provide to you. But guess what? That chief has now apologized and said it was wrong. In an update to a story, we reported on where Michigan police were using only black targets in a firing range. The head of the department is apologizing. Let's put up his picture. Here's here's the chief, all right? So after the department initially claimed that more white targets were used than black targets, Chief Jeff King now admits that indeed black targets were primarily used. He said, and I quote, well, I'll take this one on the chin. He said this at a public meeting. Then he goes on to say, I apologize to each and every person in this room, this community, my department, my city council, my city manager. I can't overlook this. Don't apologize to black people. He apologized to literally everybody but black people. Do you understand? This is routine. This is the apology, non-apology. This is not uncommon for individuals like him. He apologized to the city manager. The city manager was in on it. What are you talking about? He apologized to council. Council been knew about it. He apologizes to individuals who were literally taking a part in it. He apologized to his police department. Damn it, it was your police department who were the ones shooting black targets. But you apologize not to black people, the black community, your black constituents, the black people you serve, the black people who help pay your salary, the black taxpayers of that community. You had an apology for everybody but black folks. Put up his picture again, please. Now, while he's the chief of police, who was exposed, by the way, by children, children that were on a trip, went inside of the shooting range and noticed this and complained about it and made and made a difference. Why? Because the parents of those children raised them right. They saw something that was abnormal to them. So that's your chief. But who appoints the chief? This person. This is your mayor. Farmington Hills Mayor Vicki Barnett said all of the targets have not been removed. And the city, which is 20% African American, plans to conduct a legal review. What does that mean, a legal review? At this point, your chief needs to resign. The officers who partook in this need to be fired. You have a cultural issue at your department of cops only shooting black targets. And let me tell you how deep this goes. They would literally purchase 
all of these target packets and take out the white people and only leave the black people. So they will keep reordering these packets and take out the black people, put the black people in as targets and then discard the white targets and only have black ones. They were literally spending more money to be racist. The targets were discovered during a Boy Scout troops recent tour of Farmington Hills Police Department. The children, there they go, they're at the front. They're simply looking at the black targets like what the hell is this? That's what they're doing. According to research by the family lawyer, when ordering a picture targets from a vendor, the orders include a variety of different targets. But as I said, they literally only took out the black ones and kept reordering so they can always have a fresh stock of black men to kill. Hmm. Now, why do they still have jobs? Why do they still have relevancy? Why is it that the community at large has not called for their resignation? Why is it that the city manager has not called for their resignation or the mayor or even the city council? Because they knew about it from day one. They know the culture that permeates in their community. This is not a shock to them. It is only a shock to them that a group of kids exposed them. But this is what we fight, systemic bias, prejudice. You don't think they take that mindset outside of that shooting range? Why do you think they created that atmosphere inside of the shooting range in the first place? Because that's who they target. They are literally telling you, we target black men. So in the shooting range, we're only going to aim and be trained mentally to shoot who? Black men. All right. My dear brother, thoughts here. Impeccable Michigan accent, Dr. Rishi. That was awesome. <laughs> you know, I, I don't see why a simple silhouette wouldn't suffice in this situation. Um, looking at the pictures, which kind of caught me off guard because when I was reading the news stories, I did not see the, the exact pictures. And so now I'm wondering, like, are these actual people who are citizens of Detroit or suburbs in Michigan? That's kind of scary. And to the, the specificity they went into, like black people wearing hoodies so they can aim at that, like let alone holding a weapon, really dangerous and scary stuff. And so for the kids to be able to see that, coming off of us, by the way, just talking about kids being indoctrinated in Texas, he didn't offer an apology to the children. I mean, this yeah. is, I, I don't know. I mean, just based off the fact that he only offered an apology to a specific few people let you know. Right. And we can expect this man to be hired somewhere else in some some other municipality, some other state somewhere else probably doing something similar. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's him taking it on the chin. Clarence Thomas has now provided a dissent. Uh, contrary to all of the conservatives, by the way, as well as everybody else. But perfectly in line with his wife, Jenny Thomas. Uh, Clarence Thomas is now saying that coronavirus vaccines are developed from aborted children, a claim debunked by actual scientists many, many, many years ago. Uh, so let's get into it. Quite fascinating. Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas wrote Thursday in a dissenting opinion that coronavirus vaccines are developed using cells from aborted children. Now, that's important to note. He put in his dissent, aborted children, okay? Thomas dissented on the Supreme Court's refusal 
to hear a case challenging New York's vaccine mandate based on religion. Thomas wrote and I quote, they object on religious grounds to all available COVID-19 vaccines because they were developed using cell lines derived from aborted children. Thomas wrote in his dissent referring to the plaintiffs that brought the lawsuit. Now, I've told you this before, the unraveling of Roe v. Wade, while there are some who celebrated this. Remember, this allows them to now unravel by way of judicial theory to unravel many other rights that you believed you had, okay? There's more. The plaintiffs in their emergency request to the Supreme Court said the vaccines were made with, and I quote, abortion derived fetal cell lines in testing development or production. And in their petition for a writ, they said vaccines were made with voluntarily aborted fetuses, fetal cells obtained from elective abortions of miscarriages, abortion derived fetal cell lines and aborted fetuses cell lines. So remember that's the language is somewhat different than what Justice Thomas wrote. Thomas said they came from aborted children, all right? Another distinction here, some vaccines have used fetal cell lines during early stages of vaccine development. But the final products do not, none of them contain aborted fetal cells as proclaimed. Additionally, these fetal cells came from elective abortions performed decades ago and were not done for the purpose of vaccine development, according to Axios. The use of fetal cell lines is actually common when developing any, let me say that again, any vaccination, not just for coronavirus, right? A major institute, conservative think tank said, an anti-abortion research organization said that the Pfizer and Moderna COVID vaccines were found to be, and I quote, ethically uncontroversial for their use of fetal cells to demonstrate how a cell could take up mRNA and produce the coronavirus spike protein. So this is settled not only by conservative think tanks, this is settled by medical science. And according to the ruling, this is actually settled by way of other Supreme Court justices who happen to be conservative, but it's not settled as far as Thomas Clarence is concerned, Clarence Thomas, excuse me. It's not settled with him. Once again, once again, his ruling does not align to the conservatives on the bench, but it aligns with the advocacy and belief of his wife, Jenny Thomas. In defending his vaccine mandate, Lawyers for New York also noticed that laboratory grown stem cells, which derived from cells collected from a fetus nearly 50 years ago, were also used for testing the rubella vaccine. There it is, right? We have a Supreme Court justice who is finally showing his true colors, no pun intended. But he is coming out with a vengeance. Think about this 100% of his judicial rulings have always perfectly aligned to his wife's public advocacy, her conspiracy theories. He ruled in favor for Trump when all of the conservatives on the bench ruled against the madness Trump was trying to push. He voted the other way, think about it. His wife keeps coming up 
in the January 6th investigation. They're not going to talk to her. I never believed it was going to happen in the first place, even when she volunteered and then took it back. There's a problem here. All right, Jeff thoughts. Citation needed, Justice Thomas. He is going a long way to avoid talking about loving Virginia, uh, loving versus Virginia. It's getting very convenient. Mm. I can expect this kind of analysis from a, a social media username that has a name and a bunch of numbers at the end. But this is a well-respected man, well, despite what Anita Hill tried to tell us decades ago, making these decisions for very obvious reasons, as you just alluded to, Dr. Ritchie. I don't. I don't know where this is going with him. And actually the future is getting very scary when it comes to um, rights and restrictions and everything that's gonna come along with what we thought we had. So um, he doesn't need evidence or facts to make these decisions either. And there's gonna be a slew of individuals who's gonna back him for whatever he says moving forward. That's right, that's right. He's setting the stage for something. You gotta remember this, this isn't the first time he's provided a wink and a nod to a conspiracy theory. Um, he even did it in the last major summary with Roe v. Wade being overturned. Uh, he comes out and now he's talking about um, the dynamic of gay marriage in America. He's sending hints, he's sending code to those who are picking it up. So he's setting up the stage for something we're gonna continue to follow. We got more on the other side, it's indisputable stick and stay. Welcome back, we got a lot of show left. Don't forget to watch my big homie, J.R. Jackson, The Watch List. Beautiful show, add The Watch List to your watch list. Join J.R. Jackson live weekdays, 12 p.m. Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time. So you can watch live daily and follow at facebook.com forward slash watch list TYT. Also subscribe at youtube.com forward slash watch list TYT. Let me read some of these amazing comments. All right, talking about the revisionist history in Texas. Uh, Bernie's my leader says, and when a second grader says, what doesn't volunteer mean? What does relocation mean? What would they say to them? All right, uh, the way Clarence Thomas thinks, okay. Uh, imploded brainy, this, this idiocy is why my 74 year old mother who has many preexisting conditions won't get vaccinated. She thinks they are made from aborted fetal cells. I just can't anymore, I think I'm going to leave the country. YouTube proposal to teach involuntary relocation. See, Michael Henson, thank you again. Even white supremacy understands that those that those who are ignorant of their history are doomed to repeat it, hence masking the term slavery. Very good observation, and you're completely right. All right. About the police chief, Winston Sayer says they were segregating the targets. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, once again, C. Michael Henson, thank you, man. Is it me or is Clarence Thomas starting, started to look and act like Steven from Django Unchained? His brain living in Candyland right about now. That's right, he's in the sunken place, actually, that's where he's at. <laughs> All right, made money in the building. I wouldn't waste too much time trying to figure out what's wrong with Clarence Thomas. It's crazy, might be contagious, just looking out for your doc, LOL. Thank you for that, much obliged. All right, Twitch, um, Midas with a stinger. The textbooks for the entire country come from Texas, just saying, a lot of them do, you're all right. All right, okay, got something for you, it's a doozy. Ladies and gentlemen, I wish a Karen would. You wanna call the police on them for having a barbecue on a Sunday?
from here they can't park right there you cannot park right there no ma'am yeah, even if you have problem with listen i've already told to security you're just trying to be see all this trash i know that's how you all are when you come over here to our country you try to rule us sir i just talked to security a while ago so i told him i had a problem with my car i just talked to the gentleman putting stuff in the car right here and he said it was okay he said it was fine you got this, my reverse. It don't want to go on reverse, and I can prove it to you. But you got this Filipino right here that wants to be a Mexican, sir. I don't about your camera. Your piece, of bitch. Put it on the nose. Oh, there's more. Here it is. I don't care, sir. Karen and her male Karen having a racist breakdown because yeah, they're having kind of a bad day. Now, here's the thing, there are ways to talk to people. There are ways you should not talk to people. On Indisputable, we provide something for you, Karen. We provide a mirror, a reflection and correction. Here's what I wanna do, I wanna strike fear in the heart of all Karens across the planet. That if they act in their Karenicity, they may just end up on a segment of indisputable. Jeff, insanity here. All right, let's do this before I go to you, Jeff. Go ahead and put up the picture uh, for Mass here. Watch out, everybody. Oh, damn. I'm so sorry. I didn't realize it was that bad. All right, Jeff, go ahead, brother. That wasn't a good enough warning, Dr. Richie. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I apologize because I probably look like on screen, I probably look like I'm confused and I am because I don't want to skim over when she said Filipino that wants to be a Mexican. And I started to Google how far <laughs> apart those countries are from one another. That is a whole new level. Bravo, super producer Jordan for trying to warn us as well in the beginning to say this is a new level of Karenicity. In addition to the fact that her boyfriend is a native Spanish speaker, I can't presume to know where he's from. But wow, so her, her racism extends to the person recording her, but she conveniently is with someone probably from a country she may not know about. Yeah. All levels of confusion and this is, I mean, this is a new level of Karen. Like, this is ultra Karen, like super Karen. She needs her own name, like something extended. Like, you know how Kimberly and Kim, like Karen Emberly or something like that. She needs something longer to address this. We need to strike fear 
in her heart, because it's only going to get worse from here. There you go. Very sad situation. We're going to bring it to you front and center. A Texas security guard has been accused of profiling black women in a Kroger store. Here's some of the video. Um, you should get my shoe. Why are you doing this to me? I don't know where you're pulling me. Why is he doing this to me? I am not a threat. I don't know where you're taking me. Please don't let him take me out. I cannot see. Please, someone. Would you step back? Would you step back? Would you step back? Would you step back? Okay. All right. That's we're going to expose him and the company he works for. Put up a profile shot that we have from the video. He's a security guard at a Kroger grocery store in Houston, Texas. He's being accused of racial profiling after he allegedly targeted three black women in separate incidents and assaulted one of them, all right? He works for Allied Universal Security. That's who he works for. At this moment, we do not have confirmation of his exact name, all right? The video recorded in April shows Stephanie Teal, a woman with special needs who was in the store with her cousin. Stephanie was in the store with her cousin, Kamisha Sterling. When she opened a Kroger burger inside the store and started eating it, Sterling said she had every intention of paying for it when they got to the register. But the security guard approached them and altercation ensued. And eventually he pepper sprayed and dragged Stephanie from the store, All right? This was the first of the incidents. The next month, Kamisha Sterling recorded another incident where that security followed her out the store demanding to know if something was in her bag. Now the most recent one involves Miss Peavy. On June 21st, June 21st, Chalandra Peavy recorded her inside the Kroger on 249 and says she could not carry any more in her hand. So she dropped some of her items in a clear Kroger produce bag and continued to shop. That's when she says the same allied universal security guard seen in the video accused her of stealing during their encounter. The guard can be heard admitting that he called her black and ugly. Here's a photo of the beautiful queen that was his victim that day. So what does Kroger have to say about this? So they released a statement based on these incidents. Kroger has released a statement that the guard in question will now be terminated. They say, and I quote, we expect all third party contractors to live up to those values, which also include respect, diversity, and inclusion, said the company. We will not tolerate this type of behavior from third party providers that operate within our stores. Well, Kroger, do you tolerate the behavior from your regular ass employees who hired the security guard and who allowed the security guard to continue to assault black women? There are three that we know of on record. I guarantee you there are more. We do not. So while great, Kroger. You're coming out against third party vendors. You do realize they were hired by your local staff. And when these incidents occurred, your local staff did not do the right thing by your black customer base. So I'd be damned if I accept your apology 
and your we don't tolerate this from third party contractors. Because you obviously tolerate it from the first contact through your employees. All right, thoughts here. Let's highlight the fact that the individual, the first individual being drug out by her hand with the individual who has special needs and a developmental disability. Um, this individual, this man who, and we're gonna find out his name, knows how to be racist, but knows nothing about customer service. So for the queen who had too many groceries in her hand and decided to drop them in a clear plastic bag, what would have happened if he would have approached her and said, here's a cart, here's a bucky, here's a basket so you That's can right. put these extra things in. And if someone was eating a burger before paying for it, and let's say they actually got away with it, was that $5 worth it for that company, like Kroger? And so, yeah, his racism knows no bounds, and I hope we know who he is moving forward. Yeah, and you, you made a great point. This security guard could have taken an entirely different leadership position in that moment. Uh, you would have done it, I would have done it. Most of the people that watch Indisputable would have done it. They would have said, listen, can I provide some help? Can I assist in any way? It doesn't take much to be a great person, it really doesn't. It doesn't take much to be human. It doesn't take a whole lot to be a decent individual. It, take, it literally takes more energy to be a jerk, bigoted and racist than it does to be a decent person. Okay, we got more on the other side, it's indisputable, stick and stay. Welcome back, all right, we got a lot of show. Let me read some of these amazing comments. Nostra Science says she's having a carambolism. There you have it, that's your word, there we go. Lynn says, all of these stories remind me that everything is bigger in Texas, including racism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, uh, about the Karen and the meltdown at Walmart. David Moore says, I wasn't even watching, but my Karenicity warning system went off. I told you, we're gonna develop an app, and this app is going to be able to warn you. When you walk into a Starbucks, if that Starbucks has a Karen, it's gonna alert you immediately, okay? We're working on that technology now. Uh, Smiling Dragon says, hi, Jeff. Hope you come on again. You and Doc work well together. Thanks to you both. Happy Friday. Boom. There it is. Great guy. Okay. Um, yeah. So this happened. The United States Supreme Court, they're going to hear a case that may allow states to illegally overturn an election and provide whatever results they choose for a presidential election and truly other elections by way of theory of this particular case. Let me bring your attention to this guy, put up his picture. The US Supreme Court agreed on Thursday to hear a case that could dramatically change the way elections for Congress and the presidency are conducted by handing more power to the state, specifically to state legislatures and blocking state courts from reviewing challenges to procedures and results. In other words, if the state legislature says it, it will become law and no oversight, no judge, the federal government, nobody can touch it. Put this picture up again, this is the guy who is actually bringing this suit. The case, an appeal from the North Carolina Republicans, challenges a state court ruling throwing out the congressional districts drawn by the North Carolina General Assembly that seemingly would have made GOP candidates likely victors in 10 of the state's 14 congressional districts. Republican North Carolina House Speaker Tim Moore, that man right there is the plaintiff in the case. 
You gotta pay attention to this because this is the next thing coming. The legislative maps were actually struck down by North Carolina's highest court because they subordinated traditional neutral redistricting criteria in favor of extreme partisan advantage. That was the quote from the ruling. For Republicans only, respondent Becky Harper was previously named plaintiff in the case of Harper versus Lewis. Another state level case challenging gerrymandered maps in North Carolina. So the case deals with the Constitution's election clauses, all right, and revolves around competing interpretations of the power that the United States Constitution grants to legislatures in states, okay? So there are two relevant clauses here, and we're gonna examine them both. One is that the elections clause, which reads, the times, places and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof. But this is it right here, Congress may at any time by law make or alter such regulations. Each state shall appoint in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct a number of electors. Now, if you remember, I've had many debates with conservatives who have said on this show that the federal government cannot get involved, it's unconstitutional for them to get involved in federal elections, that states have complete authority here. However, the Constitution says, but Congress can make laws that govern this very dynamic. So central to the case is what's called the independent state legislature doctrine. I want you to remember that because it's going to become part of the news cycle very soon. This is a constitutional interpretation that could be used by Republican controlled states to hinder the true essence of a democratic process. So the independent state legislature doctrine, this theory is a reading of the constitution pushed in recent years by a small group of advocates that will give state legislatures wide authority to gerrymander electoral maps and also pass voter suppression laws. It has even been used as political cover to try and overturn other elections. The constitution delegates power to administer federal elections to the state subject to congressional override. There is however, a disagreement about how much power is delegated and to which state actors exactly. Proponents of the independent state legislature theory reject the traditional reading of the constitution, insisting that these clauses give state legislatures exclusive and as they say, near absolute power to regulate federal elections. The result, when it comes to federal elections, legislators would be free to violate the state constitution and state courts could not stop them from doing so. Are you hearing me? This is real. This is the next thing they're going to try to push, okay? Are Democrats being proactive? Have you heard about this from Biden yet? Has Vice President Harris talked about it? No, it's coming, there's more, all right? The court's ruling could play a fundamental role in determining the outcome of the 2024 presidential election. Once again, it's not just about who counts the vote. It's not just about who casts them, it's about also who counts the vote, right? It's about both. So there's a dean, Dean Amar from the University of Illinois College of Law. Notes that a hypercharged version of the theory 
pointing to the electors clause of the US Constitution served as the backdrop for fake electors and that fake elector scheme. That is the focus of the House Select Committee investigation, the January 6th attack on the US Capitol. Depending on how broadly the Supreme Court rules in the North Carolina redistricting case, the dean says support for the theory by the court could affect the 2024 presidential election. States with Republican controlled legislatures could see it as an invitation to set new election rules that take power away from voters when picking electors for the electoral college or to make state lawmakers, not courts, the judges in disputes after the election. I want you to think about if this law was already in place during the Trump administration. That means that every state that he told, I need your legislature to submit a different slate of electors. And I need you to overturn the election that showed I lost. All of those states by way of judicial ruling from the US Supreme Court would be able to do so legally, legally. All right, Jeff thoughts here. Further reason why the term states rights is problematic. This is gonna reverberate and we know every decision like this affects Black and brown and native people, especially black, black, brown, native people who are poor. I was going to start off by saying that this story hits close to home because here in Ohio, the Republican legislature has defied overturned gerrymandered maps. But this is going to affect the rest of the country as well. But we are very well aware that these gerrymandered maps divide the will of the people, and in particular, black people who have a voice and a vote to vote some of these people out. And when I say this, I'm looking at you, Representative Jim Jordan out of Northern Ohio. Yeah, very well said. All right, very interesting, very interesting stuff. Um, also dogmatically against what we believe is a democratic process. But once again, it has now become part of the mainstream. Uh, Trump's lies continue to make policies that work for those who are no longer even popular, their ideals are no longer popular in America. But these lies now permeate not only through legislatures, but also through the United States Supreme Court. Interesting. All right, there's a white male. He decided to push a black 11 year old child off of the bike and has been arrested. Here's the video. See, put up his picture, this coward who decided to abuse an 11 year old black child. We're gonna expose him, okay? And I'm going to say it for the record, I wish somebody would have kicked his ass when he did that, right? That's just my personal belief. 48 year old Jameson Chapman, who assaulted a sixth grader, Daniel Duncan. 
while he was riding his bike with a friend around Deep River on Monday evening has now been arrested. After the victim's mother, Desiree Dominique saw the video, she said she immediately went into flight or fight and jumped in her car looking for that coward. She called the police and after they saw the video, the man was promptly arrested. The suspect was arrested and charged with second degree breach of peace, risk of injury to a child and third degree assault. Chapman was held on a $10,000 bond and transported to a Hartford Correctional Center. He is due to appear in the Middletown Superior Court on July 11th. We are going to follow this case. While there was not a serious injury, it did scare the child a lot. Dominique shared that her son has cut some bruises from the incident, but the psychological impact has also taken a toll. He's terrified to leave the house, she said. Dominique also said that this entire ordeal has been very scary for her as a mom, and I'm sure it has been. Let, let me say this, because local governments, they, they seem as if they can't figure out how to deal with this. If this would have been, let's say a gang member who assaulted an 11 year old this way and it was caught on video. Do you know they would have held a press conference? They would have had a mayor and a police chief. We won't tolerate this in our community. We're gonna make an example out of those who act this way. That would have been the spirit of how they came against this. But a racially motivated attack against a black child simply gets an arrest where they don't even charge him with everything they could have. He's gonna be out, likely won't get jail time even when convicted or the plea deal is reached. Probation, community service, having to pay a fee. But why don't communities try to make examples out of racially motivated hate like they make examples out of gang members and rappers, right? All right, Jeff, thoughts? The lasting impact of his plea deal, whether it's community service or something like that, will not last longer than this kid's psychological harm moving forward. Right. This kid's gonna have anxiety when he sees random individuals, especially while riding his bike. I wish Desiree Dominique would have gotten her hands on him to show him who he really is. But unfortunately, I guess fortunately, she did the right thing and called the authority. So hopefully they will do what they are capable of and bringing justice to this man because he put his hands on a child. Yeah, that's what the man did. He abused a child, all right? Racially motivated child abuse. All right, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable, stick and stay. All right, welcome back. We got a lot of show left. Let me read some of these amazing comments. Let's get to it. Okay, uh, Nadia's Maximus says he talks to a kid that way and assaults a child. Real man, real man, put up the SOB's picture full screen. Ten thousand dollar bonds way too low. That's right. Agreed. They didn't even charge him with everything they could have. Um, all right, Siberio Kovnik. I think I said the right. Doc Richie, I can help build the app. I need to stretch my coding arms a bit. Good, all right, see, we're already moving in the right direction here. Thank you for that. Um, Scotus Case, I think this is roguish son. Seems a reversion is occurring and they are dropping the veil that was poorly constructed in the first place. There you go. Captain Pepper, thank you for this, Captain Pepper. Run me my reparations, America. And America is KKA, yep, okay. All right, I got a question for everybody, what? In the red state hell. You can take a gun, shoot somebody in the face. It's not hard. 
Sometimes it might even be fun if they're a godless commie. Now, what they're trying to do is sneak the COVID vaccine in your salads. I never had, I hate math. Somebody say amen. Need your ID also, please, sir. Okay, I'm going to place you under arrest then. You are not placing me under arrest. Come here. No right to ask for anything. Come here. For trespassing and for uh, disorderly conduct. Public you property. Not disorderly. Public. He refused to give me his ID, which okay. he's required to do. For why? So I could issue him a citation for trespassing. It's not trespassing. He wasn't trespassing. This is actually a throwback. I have some additional information to share. Let's put up the picture full mass of the cop who was trying to affect an illegal arrest. His name is Christopher Dickey. Officer Dickey works for the state of Colorado, works in Colorado as a police officer. And it's interesting that the other officer knew exactly what was going down the entire time. I don't know that cop's background. I don't know the cop's background who said, hey, listen, chill out. I don't know if he's a great guy in every aspect of his life. I do know that what he said that day in that moment was correct. And I do know that more cops can do that, all right? Now, here's another twist in the story. The male who was running away away from the police, and by the way, this is my first time actually seeing <laughs> somebody get away with running away from the police, all right? By the time you start running, if you if you are caught, it's over. So he ran from the police to the safety of another police and never seen this before. And it worked, it actually worked. That person has now received a $175,000 check from that local jurisdiction in Colorado. Because the police wrongfully attempted to arrest him. Quite fascinating, all right. Jeff, thoughts on this? I would like to tell your very educated, but maybe impressionable audience, Dr. Ritchie, that they probably shouldn't run away from the police because results aren't <laughs> typical. I always define a good cop, and again, I don't know what this cop has done in his tenure as a police officer, but I usually define a good cop as being able to police the police. And that's the very thing he did. Now, unfortunately, it was after the two taser attempts, which missed because that guy was faster than them and that would have been very wrong and that would have been an injustice. But that cop, that officer did what he was supposed to do and he wins the Cariel Horn Award. For your for your viewers, look up Cariel Horn out of Buffalo. She got fired for policing the police and now That's she's right. a hero. So That's right. Good That's job right. out of that person. Absolutely. And here's the other thing, when you look at that video, you have to you have to imagine, well damn, if he would have just said, "You know what? I surrender." He would have been arrested, he would have been taken mm -hmm. to jail. All of that would mm -hmm. have happened because he decided to get away from the police. Another cop stepped in and said, listen, what you're saying is foolish. There's no trespassing, there's no disorderly conduct, and you had no right to even engage the individual. Very sad story, but I'm glad they're suing now. This is an update, a man who was going through a mental health crisis was aggressively arrested by the police. And then they told the dog to bite him. 
I'm gonna remind you of that video, here it is. So sad. Put up the victim's picture. His name is Travis Moya. Travis Moya was going through a mental health issue. It was a mental health call. Police had been called to Moya's home when he reportedly was having a mental health crisis. They already know this is a mental health crisis. That's how the call came in. The man from the suburban Atlanta area was attacked by a police dog at an arrest at his home will soon be turning the tables according to his lawyer. Travis Moyer, 37 years of age of Alpharetta, Georgia, learned today that the Fulton County DA's office said they are not going to prosecute him for resisting arrest for the incident at his home in 2021. That's according to the Atlanta Journal Constitution. Now who's in charge of the DA's office that decided not to prosecute this man? Bonnie Willis, the DA, put a picture up. Looks familiar, she's the same woman who has a grand jury investigating the actions of Donald Trump trying to overturn the Georgia elections. She's leading that investigation against Donald Trump. The senior DA, Melissa Roth, said in court, dated June 2nd, that after reviewing police body cam video, the state believes a jury would find insufficient evidence to support a finding of guilt against Mr. Moya, it was reported. Moyer's attorney, his name is Chris Stewart, he happens to be a good friend of mine, said the law firm plans to file a civil lawsuit against the Alpharetta Police Department. Stewart has said Moyer was experiencing a mental health crisis when his stepson called 911 last July. The attorney says police use excessive force, resulting in a concussion and multiple dog bite wounds, the report stated. Now, once again, a few elements here. Number one, they knew it was a mental health crisis. That's why advocating for reform inside of police departments is a good thing. That police department should have had a mental health professional there. Obviously, they do not have significant mental health training. That's another dynamic of police reform. Or they just decided to ignore whatever training and common sense they have because they're corrupt and evil people. That's possible too, right? Which means you can't talk reform for them, you have to talk replacement. The other dynamic is once they had him apprehended, they know it's a mental health issue. Why do they then have the dog bite him, okay? There's an argument that I make that canines should never be used in law enforcement, period, period. Once again, a man who needed help, a man who needed assistance, a man who was not a public safety threat, he was not. He needed help, he needed a hospital, but instead, he got victimized by the police. We're gonna follow the story, lawsuit is coming. As soon as it is filed, I will bring it to you. Uh, Jessica, thoughts on this? The biggest fear 
I hear when we talk about defunding the police, replacing them with a different kind of public safety unit to respond to mental health calls exactly like this one is, oh my gosh, we will become so much more unsafe if if we invest the resources that we're currently investing in the police elsewhere. But if the police are supposed to make us safe, why is it the case that whenever they are called, the situation escalates and gets more violent? That's what we really need to interrogate. Ask yourself if you feel more safe if you call the police in situations when there are so many scenarios that went down exactly like this one. Why did they even have a dog with them responding to a mental health call? There were three officers on them when the dog started attacking him. Was the dog instructed to attack them? That should not have happened, obviously. If the dog was out of control, they absolutely should not have the dog and the police are at fault for that as well. And I'm really happy that this is the attorney that's on the case because she's doing really good work in Georgia. All right, welcome back. We still got a lot of show left. Let me read some of these amazing comments. Okay. Oh, this is sweet. Uh, Nadia's Maximus says, I mean this sincerely. Dr. Richard for President of the United States, not joking. He is strong, righteous, honest, morally upright, just, just as motivated, action driven, and progressive. And he shows the right wing pretend Christians that a real Christian, what a real Christian looks like, and how they should actually behave. I would love to see him in debates for the presidency as he throws around his opponents like Batman himself. Well, damn, that makes, that's such a high compliment, I'm uncomfortable. All right, so, but thank you. Thank you for the sentiment, okay? Make it see the silver hat dragon. The problem with running away from the police is that if you're unarmed, especially a black man, that leads to being shot in the back. That's right. All right, don't think that we missed that, okay? All right, let's get it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bullpen. In the bullpen today, we have Mr. Corey Walker is a spring 2022 college fix fellow with Reason Magazine. And we're going to chop it up about the Uvalde mass shooting, mass killing, and the police response. Mr. Walker, thank you for being on the show. How are you? Thank you for having me, I'm good. I don't wanna presume what you know or believe about the police response in this matter. So if you would, give us your sentiment and I will then opine. Well, I think that the sentiment is obviously, um, I mean, I think people are definitely morally righteously outraged uh, because of the horrific killing of 19 uh, young kids. Um, and I also think that a lot of people uh, are, are very furious because not just because of the killing, but uh, there's a lot of other discussions, namely one around guns, but another one also mostly because of the police uh, response. And so, uh, you know, obviously waiting 77 minutes uh, outside while kids are being slaughtered and you're a police officer and you took uh, oath to protect and serve. Uh, it's pretty obvious why a lot of people were so upset. So you agree with me that the response of the local police department was utterly ridiculous and holistically inappropriate for the situation that was happening. Do you agree with me? Well, look, I think that um, it's definitely terrible and horrific. But I also think that we have to keep in mind that, you know, the Supreme Court themselves has said police don't have an obligation to protect you, right? Like that's actually a Supreme Court case. Um, they have obligation to investigate uh, these sorts of incidents, crimes after they happen. Um, so they don't have an obligation to do that. Now, with that said, now was it morally correct? No. 
Um, but I think that we also have to be very clear about what police are supposed to do, what their job actually is. Uh, with that said, uh, there's there's a lot of questions to be, to be had here about um, was this like, you know, obviously, you know, what's the point of having police that are so heavily armed and well armed if they're not going to be using it uh, in a time like this, not this time, then what then what time? Ms. Walker, let me correct you on one dynamic. The constitutional ruling you are referring to is in reference to a constitutional mandate. Do police right. have a constitutional mandate to protect? And the answer is no, because it's not codified in the constitution. However, that does not mean they do not have a statutory mandate to protect based on the statutes of that state or local jurisdiction. It also does not eliminate according to the US Supreme Court what's called the duty of care. That police officers still have a duty of care based on who they are and the public trust allocated to them in the community. So when you say there's no constitutional mandate or obligation, that's actually very separate than the job of policing itself. So let's go back to the moral and ethical argument that's being made by myself and many. Let's be very clear. 77 minutes, way too long, children died. And I believe that the blood of many of these children, if not all of them, are on the hands of that local law enforcement agency. But let's look at two incidents in particular. I want to get your opinion about them. One is a mother who decided to do the unthinkable, Angelie Gomez. She ran and got her own children out of that school. The second is a police officer who tried to do the same thing and he was arrested, detained, disarmed and taken off of the campus. The mother was able to breach the security protocol, jump over the fence because after she was handcuffed, she said, listen, if you uncuff me, I will calm down. They uncuff her, she runs. You know, she saved not only both of her children, but other children too. She had no combat training, dear brother. She had no weapons, she had no tactical gear, she didn't even have tactical training, but she had heart, she had courage. Things that you're supposed to have when you sign up to be the damn police anyway, especially when children are being shot in front of you. So you mean to tell me that dozens of officers, none of them had the courage of this woman that weighed about 110 pounds, who was able to breach their own security protocol and save children. You mean to tell me that these police, did not have that kind of heart, not one of them did. Do you think that's a problem? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely an issue. I, again, like I'm not having a discussion about the morality of, of the actions. I think it's clear as day uh, that uh, you know it, you should definitely, if you're a police officer, put yourself uh, in harm's way to you know rescue children being slaughtered, and so. Um, it definitely, you know, my hat goes off to that mom. Any mother, any parent would do the same in, in that situation. Um, I also think that, you know, it made no sense that the police were outside tackling parents while, yep. um, you know, there was literally a slaughter going on. Uh, and, you know, they were literally camped out in a hallway. You know, many, they were already in the school. Uh, they just decided to not engage with the shooter, which um, I think is. Um, definitely morally reprehensible. So I think we're definitely on the same page here. I don't think there really can be a debate here. Um, I think there's a lot of debate about who's most liable, um, for what reason, and also you have to bring into account, um, you know, should should police be held 
uh, liable in situations like this. Um, and qualified immunity, I mean, that's no, another discussion. But at the same time, I, I can't defend uh, any anyone, any police officer, any um, adult with, uh, with a weapon for standing around while kids are being killed. Um, I, I don't think that there's really much of the events to be had there. Uh, there's legal questions, but the moral, the morality of this is pretty clear. So let's talk about one of the other incidents that came out through the investigation and even the commissioner of Texas, um, the Texas police commissioner came out and was very critical of this. They were waiting on a key, as you just said, uh, Mr. Walker, they were inside yeah. of the building. They, they say the reason they did not move ahead is because they were waiting on a key. Well, come to find out the door wasn't even locked. There was no key required. Here's the other thing, because I started to look at this excuse from the Uvalde police. I say, you know, a few things don't add up here, Mr. Walker. Number one, if the door did not require a key, that means either A, nobody checked to see if the door was locked or unlocked, or B, they knew it was unlocked and they lied and said, we're just gonna wait on the key as a cover to not go into that building any further. And here's the other part, Mr. Walker. When have you ever known the police to wait for a key to lock up somebody or to apprehend a suspect? None of this makes sense. I literally believe that there's a cultural issue inside of that department. You have to remember the person that ended up putting bullets in the killer wasn't even part of their tactical command, disobeyed the command of the authority at the time. The other mother, the mother, was able to disobey command of the scene. She's a mother, she doesn't work for them and she was able to save children. So everybody that actually fixed the situation, for lack of a better word, they were outside of the command of this particular police chief. So why do you think this culture, why do you think this one agency responded in a way that's actually antithetical to human response? Why do you think not one of those cops responded like a parent? or responded like a human being when children were being killed in front of them, why? Yeah, I mean, I think that obviously every police department has uh, their own culture, but I think that part of it may be the type of people that are quite often drawn to police. It's not like, I mean, let's be real. Uh, we do talk about police as if you know they are our country's best and brightest, but the reality is, is that a lot of times it's you know whoever, I mean, it, it's, I hate to say left, Fine, but in a lot of cases, it's people you know didn't go to college, were not necessarily the best students in high school, or not necessarily um, the most involved. So therefore, it's you know it doesn't particularly surprise me that you know you are you know getting a group of people who are not necessarily uh, the most moral or necessarily uh, making the most morally righteous or morally correct decisions. Uh, I think that police culture is a culture of which there is really a lack of accountability in many cases, mm -hmm. in, many, uh, in many police departments across the country. And so because of that, it's not surprising to me that they thought they could do this, get away with it. And there probably is quite a bit of lying. We know for a fact there's been lying yeah. in this case. And so because of that, like it, it doesn't surprise me. This probably isn't the first time that they've been doing this. It's probably right. been going on for quite a while. Yep. And this is the fact that this is a massive, massive national story, which children were killed, they can't really sweep it under the rug like they're used to. 
You know, I, I agree with most of what you said. I don't correlate education to courage. I, you know, you don't have to be educated to be courageous. Um, I do want to talk about the liability factor here because there's another debate about how liable should the cops be? Should they be legally Correct. liable? Should they have some kind of actual statutory penalty? And by the reading of the state law, there's really not a statutory penalty. It should be, I believe wholeheartedly it should be. But let me talk about simple liability. The cops who were involved, they're still getting a paycheck. They're still getting paid. Right. Now you gotta think about this in the context, Mr. Walker, of government workers. Police officers work for the government. They work for the citizens of that community that pay their salary. It's derived from the taxpayer base, just like any other department. What other department, what other department known to man inside of a local government could engage in an action that caused the death of children where they were inactive when they should have been actionable and it caused the death of children. They lied about what happened, so there's the deceit aspect. They filed false reports about what happened on the record, but they're still able to get paid. This would not happen, Mr. Walker, under watershed management or communications department in a local municipality. There is no such department that exists, fire department or otherwise, where this kind of negligence this kind of um, this kind of insanity, this kind of non-human response, this would not happen on any other department without actual penalty, except for the police. Now that's a cultural issue, and it's a cultural issue that permeates beyond just the local police department. Would you not agree? And that police are probably the one sector versus that power. Literally kill someone, uh, and quite literally, in many cases, the vast majority of cases, um, there is no uh, accountability mechanism. Um, it's very, very rare when police are held accountable for killing, or not even just necessarily killing, just basic brutality or neglect, right? So, um, I can't think of like any other the instance or any other. You know, maybe the military in some cases when they're overseas and committing certain, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, crimes and stuff over there. But I mean, if we're being honest here, uh, I do think that you're particularly spot on. Um, it's really difficult for me to disagree with you because I do think that in many cases, in my, my case, more like libertarian right perspective, uh, police, the way we have a police culture in this country is, can be pretty, pretty, um, it can be pretty worrying in the sense that police are held up as heroes, but in many cases, they don't do heroic things, and there's a lot of excuses made for them that we don't necessarily make for for other uh, government government agents. Um, and look, I I think that the Uvalde uh, situation is uh, part of a much larger issue in our society where I, I'm going to keep harping on it, lack of accountability and there's no accountability mechanism. The sad thing is that what, as horrible as Uvalde is, almost no one is going to pay a price for it. And that's really tragic. That's right, brother. Uh, you said something that you can take to the bank. The police officers who lacked the fortitude, should I say, to mm. do the right thing, to engage properly, those officers will not have a real penalty, it simply will not happen. Now, let's go back to a factor about policing in America, okay? Because I think we've gotten it wrong as it relates to public safety. At some point in the narrative, Mr. Walker, 
We started to believe as a nation that police officers were your public safety measure. That in order to get to a place of public safety, you must simply have more police. But the truth is policing is one aspect of public safety. It's not the end all to public safety. What do you think it will take to transform that narrative? Because when a city says they've hired more cops and everybody applauds that, well, that's not really a good thing to brag about. Because what your city is saying is that we have more crime, we don't know how to fix it. We don't know how to create programs in order to deter it. So we're just gonna hire more police and let's all give them a round of applause. Well, I think that any sort of criminal justice policing is necessary in any society. You're gonna always need the police. But I also think that we have to understand that police in and of itself isn't gonna just be enough. You need criminal justice reform, you need to rebuild communities, rebuild, and that includes mm-hmm. keeping parents, especially fathers, home. So we need to think about how we can be preventative and not necessarily, but also keeping fathers at home, keeping people employed with good jobs. All of these things are part of keeping a society and a community safe. And I think that that is, Really, at the heart of time, you know, advocate. I think it's the worst, uh, you know, probably the worst slogan you can think of. I think people care about safety, especially in a time where uh, crime is spiking. I also think that we have to be more proactive in finding preventative solutions, and that that is the whole. All right, Miss Walker, you you're going in and out, but let me ask you because I missed it. What slogan did you reference just now? Uh. To fund the police. Like, I'm you not said, a fund the police advocate. Okay, got you. All right, so I do disagree with you on that. I'm actually for the, the slogan defund the police, and here's why defund the police got everybody's attention. Defund the police is actually okay because what we're saying is stop spending so much money on policing for public safety and actually allocate public safety for public safety. Public safety dollars should go to public safety dynamics that give you public safety results. That's how this should work. So if you need to take money out of that overinflated police budget and actually allocate it to dynamics that enhance public safety in your community, that's a very good thing. And let's be very clear, anytime a cop violates the right of a citizen and that city has to pay millions of dollars to that citizen or the citizen's family, that is in fact defunding the police. And it seems as if those on the right have no problem. When the police are defunded in that way, but they only have a problem when black people say the term or those who are allies of the black community defund the police. Mr. Walker, it has been a pleasure. Thank you for being on the show, brother. Thank you. I appreciate it so much. All right. Remember, take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the planet. Remember the truth, the truth is always indisputable.